going to be speaking about the shepherds, but um, something that Ross said uh, really clicks with what I, the Lord is putting on my heart. Let me start with a word of prayer first. Father, thank you so much for your word that you've not left us like orphans, that in the midst of the loud, you're still there. So, Father, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to pause, to clear our minds, to be able to hear your still and quiet voice. So, Father, open up your scriptures tonight. Help me to step away and let you speak. Free me by your Holy Spirit to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I still work for the Evangelical Free Church of America. Um, I travel more than I should. Um, the um, next year is promising to be a little bit slower. I was really excited when uh, Wes asked me to come and preach. I couldn't do it when he wanted me to. Uh, so I said, uh, give me a rain check. And, and so when I said I'm free, he plugged me in. And I just uh, am very thankful, brother. I'm also excited to see you guys still carrying on and doing the good work. Um, Ross's uh, last exhortation really dovetails well with what I want to do with this message. You know, I think uh, especially with the schooling and the training that I've had, we're very heavy into information. We're very heavy into expositing the word very heavy into um, helping us to think right. And somehow or another, we think because we think right, we are right. Um, and I think that's probably one of the biggest deceptions for us. Now, I'd, I want to think right. <laughs> I'm not going to trade that at all. But uh, lately, I've been really impacted with um, um, how that just gets us to a certain place. Psalm 131, uh, I wanted to set the tone for message. Lord, my heart is not haughty, my eyes, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned, weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time and forever. Um, Advent uh, is, uh, is a very interesting, uh, it's a very important and interesting celebration. Seems like everything that we celebrate after a while gets co-opted uh, by the world and uh, given its own interesting spin. Um, and it's interesting that we in America come up with these goofy things and then they get just uh, pushed out into the rest of the world. Um, Halloween is a good example. Uh, when I was a kid, we could have candy, we could stay out late, never worried about razor blades or the demonic side of things. And yet somehow or another, everything seems to be skewed that way. Christmas, of course, was co-opted a long time ago. Um, uh, it just doesn't seem sometimes like it's about Christmas. But um, when 
Martin Luther uh, started talking about um, the Christmas season. He said, and this is 500 plus years ago. He said, uh, we've got to... We've got to cut down all the noise. We've got to, we've got to refocus ourselves in terms of, uh, of what, what this season is all about. So um, he uh, is the one that came up with the Advent Reef. Now, there were other thoughts in those days about Advent. Advent means becoming. But he came up with the idea of the Advent wreath. And some of that was to, to touch on, on the whole thing, to just weekly remind us to, little by little, see if we can't, even though we're just here for one hour and the message may last 30 minutes, and there's no way, no way that we can undo the other 167 hours. But if we can weekly cause ourselves to refocus, to uh, somehow or another make sure that we have a filter. It helps us. Thanksgiving uh, is also one of those celebrations that isn't really captured by the world that much until they started coming up with Black Friday. And, and that's been happening for a while. I remember my mom used to make uh, our Thanksgiving food and my sister used to sit going through the newspaper. And this was way before I even knew this craziness was going on. And, and she would start circling the store she was going to go to. You know what happens now. Uh, people get hit. They get run over. There's fights in the stores afterwards. There's all these sorts of crazy sales and, and people have all of a sudden, they're just... It's almost like they can't even wait till Thanksgiving is over before they're already thinking about what they're going to do with Black Friday. And then, of course, Black Friday wasn't enough. We have Online Monday. Cyber Monday, thank you. And I think now it's uh, Cyber whatever 10 days later. You know. But always the world is pushing in. Now, you all know there is no Santa Claus. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> One of my daughters was telling me the other day, Dad, should I tell my, should I tell my kids yet that there is no Santa? <laughs> my attitude was, why? <laughs> but it's, 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 uh, you know, it's, um, it's, a madness, it's a madness in which the world is pushing in on us. And, and I'm going to tell you what, it appeals to us. It, it really does appeal to us. And so when we're, when, I mean, and this is another shocker to you all, probably Christmas didn't happen on December the 25th. Yeah. But you know what? It is right. It is right for us to stop and to think. It is right for us to take a day and start preparing our hearts. I, I, this whole issue of preparing our hearts needs to be re-envisioned. In fact, there's a part of me that wants to go back to some of my old traditions where we would even talk about Lent. 
What am I sacrificing? What am I giving up? How am I not gratifying the flesh? How am I pushing something away to make some room for, for God? Not because I'm trying to earn my salvation. Not because I'm trying to make myself more holy, but because I am trying to give up something so that I can focus on something. Brothers and sisters, that's what we do with Advent. Have you noticed that the world hasn't started caving in on Advent? You know why? Because Advent talks. And Wes said, I think he talked about it last week. Advent is focusing on God's coming. And that is the very thing the world wants us to forget. That is the very thing that the world wants us to, to ignore. So as we start focusing on Advent, we need to understand that the, that the world, whole world is pushing on us and we've got to, we've got to really work. And so today, I'm not going to give you any profound thoughts. No. I'm not going to give you any exegetical thoughts. I'm not going to give you anything that's going to challenge your ability to think. <coughs> what I want you to do is stop. Is to stop. And prepare. So what is then, Advent is a time in which we, we, we have four candles and each one represents something. And it's interesting because it's not even that well programmed. I mean, if you go and look on the internet, you're going to find three different people that are going to say which candle is the pink one and which ones are the purple ones. Turn, if you would, in the scriptures to Luke chapter 2. My wife tells me I am a horrible reader. And she's right. So I am going to have my special little program read it for you. Today I'm going to preach on the shepherds. So uh, starting at Luke chapter 2 verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And 
And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Sometimes we uh, get a little nostalgic and we think, wow, if only we lived back in those days, everything would be simpler. No ATMs, no movie theaters. Life was slower and simpler. But it's not always that way. You know what was happening at that time. Joseph and Mary had to travel from Jerusalem or wherever they were staying to uh, Bethlehem, the city of David. Um, By most calculations, it probably took them three days. And she was great with child. No easy thing. Um, We just recently had our 11th grandchild. I didn't see Sonia, but she looked very great with child. Benjamin was born nine pounds and something ounces. I can't imagine her on a donkey for three days. Think of uh, Bethlehem also. Probably no more than 200 people at, at, the, at the greatest time during the normal day. But this was the census that was forcing everybody to go back to their village. And so that city was probably about 2,000 at the time. Maybe even more. Think of the chaos. Obviously we know there was no room in the inn. We know the story that, that Joseph and Mary could not find a room. And so there's a lot of disagreement about where they did go. Some say a cave. Some say a a a stable somewhere but what we do know is it was not easy what we do know is that it was very uncomfortable it's also ironic the whole the whole thing is ironic because here comes the king of kings the one who should have been born in jerusalem in a castle in a soft bed Think how profound the choice of God is. Not in a castle, not in a bed, not in a sanitary place, not in a heated room, not with a maid, a doctor, a helper. The king of kings, born in a stinky, cold stable. You men who love your wives so much, think how hard. They're going through that work, and you're useless. But you're worrying. You're fretting. Think about not being able to ease your wife's pain by having a nice, clean place. And then you see Joseph and Mary, and then the baby. And the king of the, king of the world chose 
a stable. Now, there's many stories, but the one that we will focus in on here is shepherds, we're told. Now, the irony of this whole story is not just where he was born. It's not just the unsanitary conditions. It's not the temperature and the awfulness of being born in a stable that was filled with germs. But it was to whom the babe was announced to. Shepherds. Shepherds were one of the lowest classes of people in Jerusalem and in Israel. In fact, you get a little bit of a taste of it when, when Joseph, uh, Jacob and, and the rest of his 77 went to Egypt and Joseph had told him, when you're coming to Egypt, tell them you're shepherds because then they're going to put you far away from, from where Pharaoh is. And there was another time where Joseph says, it is an abomination for the Egyptians to sit at the same table with shepherds. Why, why is that? They're stinky, they're smelly, they're they're always out, out far away. They're, um, I don't know if they have fleas or what, but they, they, they're always up at night. They're always taking care of animals. They're, a lot of them weren't even married. And so you have a lot of these single guys who are out there and they're coarse and they're, they know how to defend themselves. They know how to go after an animal that's going after the sheep. These were not soft, kind, gentle, interesting people. They're outsiders. They're not people who studied the, the law. They're not people who knew how to sit at the table, use the right instruments at the right time. They're not people who, frankly, we would probably want to hang out with under normal conditions. But those were the people that God chose to reveal himself to. Stop and think. What is God thinking? Why didn't he go to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the very ones who were educated and trained and, and should have recognized the Messiah? Why not the clean? Why not the healthy? Why not, why not those who knew how to communicate the good news? Those were rejected. These were chosen. But that story is common all the way around. Those that, that, that we have thought would be the right ones were not always. Women were given special place with God. At the resurrection, two women were the first ones to see the resurrected Lord. Not the doctors, not the lawyers. Brothers and sisters, think about this profundity. Do we have 
things backward. They were outcasts. They were outsiders. They were not people, people. They had a different rhythm of day and night. They were simple people. Very simple. We would call them homeless. But, but, there's one big but. They were receptive to the message of God. They were open to hope. We who have too much, we who know too much, we who have been trained on thinking, might identify more with the Pharisees and the Sadducees in some ways. It's really easy for us sometimes to think, well, if I was there, I would have recognized him. I have serious doubts even about myself at times. Sometimes we're too vested in everything around us. Sometimes the more that we have, the more it has us. Sometimes good things have us. Our children, our spouses. The call of God is radical. And it is not saying, leave your family. Leave your things. But it is, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. All these other things will be added to you. What I'm asking you to do is to resort, reframe, refocus. Ask yourself scary, crazy questions. Who do I put before God? That's a scary question for those who have. What do I put before God? You know, I just read through the Bible every year. And this year I was struck by something I'd never been struck by before. Finishing the book of uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and listening to the lamentations and thinking about all of the calamity, all of the destruction, all of the uh, old people and young people who were killed, all of the warrior men killed, and the young and the strong, the men to work, the women to serve and abuse. And the thought hit me. We in America have never, ever endured that. Never. We don't know what defeat is. We had our 9-11. Oh, that was so difficult. Please forgive me. I don't want to minimize that. But we were never hauled off. 
somehow or another, I'm asking us to do something that is beyond our ability to conceive, and that is who's first, really first. And so as we approach Christmas and we think of the Advent, and I'm not advocating anybody leave their spouse. (laughs) In fact, I think, I think that if Jesus has the right place in our life, and if we see him as he really is, all these other things fall into proper order. What I'm asking us to do when we consider the shepherds who were the outcast, who we would have rejected, who would, who would have scared us, bothered us, annoyed us. Oh, we might have given them a hamburger. Oh, we might have taken them for some clothes. You know, we would have bought them food because we didn't want them buying liquor. Those are, are what the shepherds were like. But, but all those things are true except for there was one thing. They were so far down on the totem pole that they were willing to receive great news. So when we look at verse 9, the angel stood before them And that was enough to freak anybody out. I don't think there's any reference to... (laughs) I haven't done a scientific study of this, but I can't think of very many places in the Bible when an angel appeared to somebody and it didn't cause them to fear. I mean, it's almost like the first greeting an angel gives is, fear not. So here are guys that didn't go to the bar mitzvah, didn't study the law... Didn't know what an angel was, maybe. (coughs) Boom! At night, dark, cold, boom. This being is standing before them. And they're freaking out. (laughs) And he says, don't be afraid. I have... Good news for you. I'm sorry. I'm still stuck on the boom. (laughs) Good news? The only good news right now would be for you to be gone. (laughs) What is the good news? A Savior is born to you. Who would have understood that better than than shepherds who had nothing going for them? Who would have understood that better than than someone who doesn't have a place to live, has no hope of being in the kingdom, doesn't know the right words to say in a prayer, doesn't know where the next meal is coming from, and here comes this angel that says the, the craziest thing ever, a Savior is born for you. That's not even something to debate for them. I'm ready. And he says, the angel says, rejoice. 
Again, the oddity. Not a conqueror is coming. Not a deliverer is coming. Not uh, a, a, a meals on wheels is coming. A baby. How crazy is that? Okay, think about that. We're so programmed into realizing that a baby is coming, but try to put yourself, if you can, in the place of these shepherds. Boom, angel appears. Says rejoice, a savior is come. A babe in a manger. <coughs> I'm telling you, there's major disconnect craziness going on here. You're going to save us. By sending us a baby. We have just gotten so programmed into understanding the ramifications of all of that that it is so hard for us to unplug and relive and think about the craziness that this should have been. I mean, my, I'm still saying, go away. Turn the lights off. I'm scared. I'm still on the ground. You're telling me that my Savior is going to be a babe in the manger? I just doesn't compute. I want a savior. I want a deliverer. You had me up to there, but then when you say a babe is born. You want to hear the craziest thing at all? They believed it. They didn't doubt it. And they did probably the worst thing a shepherd could do. Abandon the sheep. <coughs> right away they said, let's go see. Let's all go see. They didn't say, hey, we need a designated shepherd. <laughs> you stay here. We'll tell you what happened. It doesn't say anybody. It said, let's go see. And I take the Bible very literally. Let's meaning all of us go and see. Now, I don't know if there were three shepherds. It seems like everything was in threes. Three magi, three this, three that. I mean, at my major, at the house, there's three cows, three camels, three chickens, three sheep. Doesn't tell us how many. But again, the profundity of the whole thing, they go. And here's, a, here's, a, here's what I, I want to come back to. Simple faith. The angel said, they believed. We keep on having this Western mentality that what I really want to do is understand. Uh, angel, wh what scripture is that from? And how do we know that that text is valid? Uh, and, can you, and can you send another um, proof you know, maybe the sheep are wet in the morning, and then in the next day they're dry in the morning. Maybe send me a sign. Next time, show up with a red light instead of a white light. You know, there's a, one of the things they're always talking about at the national office. We want clarity. That's the big buzzword nowadays. I don't know if it's anywhere but there, but we want clarity. And I'm not moving forward until I get clarity. Well, let me tell you something. Clarity, <laughs> this is going to be heretical. Clarity is overblown. It's overblown. 
when Joshua was commissioned after Moses died, God didn't say, be clear. Look for clarity. Be courageous. Be courageous. I'm going to tell you what. These shepherds were simple. Stinky, simple, and courageous. I mean, I'd have wet it in my pants. The last thing I'm going to go do is see a baby like this. These guys were courageous. If nothing, they were courageous. They didn't debate. They didn't argue. Even Zechariah. I've always wondered at the difference between Mary and Zechariah. Mary, when she was told by the angel, uh, you're going to have a baby, she said, how can this be? But it was not, how can this be? And, and God explained it to her. Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, said, how can these things be also? <laughs> but he was not like Mary in terms of belief. He, his how can this be was, it's not going to happen. I doubt it. And he was judged. But here are these simple shepherds who are told that a Savior is born. And by the way, I don't think that the angel even said, go see it. They wanted to go see it. It was their greatest salvation. And they abandoned the sheep. And they went to go see the baby. And the proof that it was a Savior was it's in a manger. Now, I don't know if they followed the star. I don't know how the shepherds knew where they went. I mean, every Christmas movie I've ever seen that had the shepherds, they were guided by the star. It doesn't say that. So the profound thing I want you guys to think about is, why do I need to know more? Maybe what I need to do is obey more. Why do I need to have clarity? As if, if I just keep on picking up knowledge and great nuggets and systematic theology and Hebrew and Greek and uh, all these other things, and then at some point I'll be so heavy with knowledge I'll fall forward. These guys had so little. Why shepherds? Why is it so odd? Because they believed. They were not too busy. They took it as a message from God. Why shepherds? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm going to read it to you, verse 27 through 29. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Verse 28, And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God 
has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Brothers and sisters, we're in danger because of our strength. We're in danger because of our wealth. We're in danger because of our knowledge. If it be comes between us and obedience, God puts a high premium on understanding. But he puts a greater premium on obeying. Getting simple. Getting sincere. Saying, yes, God, and what did you mean? Yes, God, I'm going to go do it and still understand. This is not saying that we need to divest ourselves of our knowledge, of our resources. It means that we need to sort through the things that we think are going to get us there. There is a great balance that happens, and I call it the orthodoxy. We want to focus on orthodoxy and somehow or another divest it of orthopraxy. Orthopraxy is how we practice it. But orthodoxy, knowing the truth, a sound truth, is made healthy by a sound orthopraxy. There is a, there is a very spiritual strength in knowing and obeying. These shepherds had very little knowledge. But when they had enough knowledge, they obeyed. When we are approaching this Christmas season, I want to beg you guys to get away. To sacrifice. Give up a meal. Give up a night. Sit down and sort. What is between me and obeying God? What would happen if it all crashed? Would I crash? What comes first? We put a high premium on knowing the truth. We want to understand, we want to have clarity, but we need to commit ourselves to obey God regardless of understanding everything. God wants and values obedience. We need to also, I think that God gives us object lessons and even in the scriptures, and even in this world, that help us understand things. God puts the poor, the weak, in front of us. Not to despise them, nor to reject them, but for us to sort through and look at what's really important for us. Death, and it's a natural thing that happens around us, Family, cousins, uncles, and aunts. The hard things of life should call us to evaluate our life. What's really important? Sickness. When we're walking through even San Antonio and we see someone, it should cause us to take a minute and pause and think, okay, where am I? 
what's really, really important. When I think about Advent, it is a time that really causes us to want to stop. So I travel about 180 days a year. My days are way too busy. But on purpose, I try to take December off. December is my time to say, nope. And I try to do uh, a resorting and a refiltering and a reevaluating of what my next year is going to be like. It's got to be slower. It's got to be saner. I've got to evaluate where my priorities are. The Advent should become for us a, a filter of resorting what's really important. What am I really going to do? What has grown into my life this year that I need to pull out? What can I do without? Just because we're prosperous, just because we have money, doesn't mean it's for us. Sometimes God gives us something that belongs to somebody else. Think about that. Think about that. What does he give us that belongs to somebody else? The message of the gospel? What did the, D, what did the shepherds do after they saw the baby? They went and they left God and praised. Go tell it on the mountains. Brothers and sisters, there are some things we get richer by giving away. And sharing the gospel is one of those things. We can never give away too much of that gospel. I want to challenge you. So one of the things I like to do when I preach a message, okay, what's the next step? What do I want you to do? I want you to quit worrying about people rejecting you and tell people, that the baby was born for them too. I want you to not try to front and load the gospel and, and have the seven steps of God and the, the 15 things that you're going to go through and, and the 10 transferable principles. I want you just to do one thing. I want you to tell people that there was a baby born in a manger that came for their salvation. Boom. That's it. Let God do his work. Let God do his work. Zip it. I'm not asking you to come with a big flashlight and shine it in people's eyes. I'm not asking you to scare them. I'm just asking you to tell them a simple message. Jesus Christ came as a child and died for you. And he's coming back again. Turn the page. If God is who, he think, who I think he is, he can work in their life to ask more if they want to. We are rich. We have much. And the scriptures are very clear. Those who have much, owe much. This is a season where people are more open than ever to hear them. Jesus came 
left it all and came as a child for every person, everyone. Make it your goal, make it your aim to every day tell at least one person, Jesus really came as a child to Bethlehem for you. Simple. You can do it at the cash register. You can do it at the person at the stop sign when you're walking. You can do it at, with somebody you work. Just, just tell people. And it is that kind of thing where we are actually sacrificing something of ourselves. Maybe my prestige. Maybe my strength. Maybe someone might think wrong of me. That's something you can give up. That really is something you can give up for Christ. So I want to encourage you all to, uh, to join me in this season of Advent. To join me in giving up some things. Not officially, not even programmed. Give up a little bit of your sleep. Give up a little bit of your prestige. Give up a little bit of your light and become richer and become deeper. Because Jesus is coming back again. And I want your anticipation of his coming back to be great. To be great. And we who have been obedient, even to tell that simple story, will be even more vested in his second coming because we've been walking with him in obedience. Father, we come before you. We're so... I'm still scratching my head over how you came up with this plan. And yet, Lord, it makes sense. You took the foolish things, the things that the wisest of the wise would reject, and you have told us to tell other people, we, Lord, are the angel. The Greek word for angel is the same word for messenger. We are that angel to other people. We are the messenger. Angel and messenger, same word in Greek. And Father, we have a simple message. You came. You lived. You died for our sins. Help us, Lord, to be angels who are courageous and simple and let you do what you do. Not prejudge who will accept. Just do our job. Help us, Lord, to resort our life with a commitment to obey. In Jesus' name, amen.